welcome to another episode of The Hidden World of Women, brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. My name is Melanie Robson. I'm your hostess yet again. And today I'm joined with uh, Joe. Joe is here. Joe is a mum of three. She's a businesswoman and just, you know, all round life survivor, I suppose, as we all are in this day and age in 2020. Anyway, I'm rabbiting on. Jo is here to talk about or to share her experience with postnatal depression and in particular her experience of going into a mother-baby unit or the MBU, which um, for some mums with quite severe postnatal depression uh, and admittance to hospital with baby um, is needed. So thank you so much, Jo, for coming on board today to share your experience. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me the opportunity to um, share my story in the hope that maybe it might help another mum to possibly put up her hand um, that she's not doing so well at the moment and the fog is over the top of her. Yeah, absolutely. And really the, the, the hope with a lot of these podcast interviews is for women to talk about their experiences but to help other women who may be going through or questioning, you know, am I going through something? Is this real? Is it not? Whether that's a, a psych issue or a physical issue, you know, we've had women come on and talk about like endometriosis and stuff like that. Um, but to kind of break through some of the silence, you know, that um, which is ironic I think for women because we do talk a lot sometimes. But for some topics it's still this kind of taboo or shame or confusion is is that how you like? I guess if right. yeah, a hundred percent, especially with um, postnatal depression, postnatal mm. anxiety. Mm. When I've been sharing my stories through my own blog articles, etc., there are still women in the US, you mm. know, in twenty twenty, that don't want to even dare say anything because mm. they're so scared that the authorities may take their babies from them. Yeah. So there is still this stigma attached to it. I mean, I know when I was kind of on the other side of, uh, you know, my postnatal fog as such that I call it now, mm. um, there was a guy that I was having conversation and sharing my story and he was like, come on, you could just snap out of it. You have the power mm. to do it. I'm like, well, actually, it's not that easy. So, mm. um, if only. yeah, very important. Mm. Um, and I think that's just such a simplistic kind of uh, statement that people make for any for many problems, which just shows, I guess, an ignorance and a lack of understanding, but it's that's not helpful at all. Um, would you like to – where should we start with the – the beginning for you yeah I suppose I'll share um you know the story mm-hmm. of my postnatal mm-hmm. experience um where I started from where I ended up um and how I am today I think Beautiful. is kind of that journey so mm-hmm. it all other bits and pieces fit into it uh so I have a 21 year old son um and yes probably back in that time you know we're talking the late 90s uh I probably did have postnatal depression I actually um did um seek health uh professional health help I suppose and um they put me on a form of medication um I was breastfeeding him Mm -hmm. and at that particular time I noted changes in his physical appearance through mm. me taking the um you know the pills, mm-hmm. i suppose and yeah. seeing the reflection on him um and 
it was that physical point where I just went, no, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to tough it out on my own. Wow. Um, I don't need any extra medical help. Yeah. And so I kind of uh, just stopped taking the meds and um, continued on my pathway through life. Mm. Fast forward to uh, twenty. 16, sorry, yeah, 2015, mm-hmm. um, in March when I had my five, now five-and-a-half-year-old. Mm-hmm. So there was obviously a large gap in there between mm-hmm. both of my children. So you've got a whole range of things, you know, your life has changed, you've progressed as a person um, that happened in between. I developed my own independence, yeah. had my own structure and routine, and then all of a sudden I walked outside of the uh, – hospital doors <laughs> after my short four-day stay um, yeah, yeah. and the reality just kind of hit me at that point it was quite a distinctive moment mm. uh, that my life as it was in the number of years before that was all of a sudden changed again mm. and it kind of came and hit me like a <laughs> like mm. a I don't know swinging ball at that particular oh, yeah. time yeah, wrecking ball. Uh, and then I think went into this blackened period, um, you know, as you do when you have a newborn baby, lack of sleep, sure. um, you know, you eat, mm. you feed your baby, you sleep, yeah. you know, that routine that you go into. Yeah. Um, he was, he had severe reflux, severe colic. Oh. Also an undiagnosed tongue tie until he was four months old. Mm. So I was having breastfeeding issues. I was feeding mm. him with nipple shields on 24-7. Mm. Um, I was walking the park several hours a day just to be able to get some peace from his crying. Oh, gosh. And so it was at that four-month mark when he hit probably the fifth weight percentile mm. and um, – that his tongue tie got diagnosed, our breastfeeding issues kind of, uh, you know, yeah. got rectified as such. Yeah. Um, it was probably when he was about eight months old, about no October, November of that year when yeah. um, hubby kind of had been saying to me, Joe, you're what's wrong Mm. you're like crying every day Mm. you just can't seem to get past Mm. lots of things um you're really struggling just to cope as an individual Mm. and at that particular time I was like no there's nothing wrong with you I don't want to admit Mm. the fact that there was anything wrong Mm. because I kind of felt that if I admit it then it's making it real oh yes yes um so it was about October, November when I was just, you know, I was barely getting through every single day and mm. uh, really just not coping. Mm. That we eventually, with the help of the child health nurse, mm-hmm. after doing a lot, you know, you've got to do those surveys sort of things quite yep. regularly in regards to postnatal depression yep. and yep. how you're feeling. And um, so as a result of my child health nurse, my husband, mm. Um, and a couple of other people, they suggested that I go and have a referral to the Raphael Centre, which is in Subiaco. Which is in Perth. Um, Australia, upon getting an appointment and mm-hmm. going in there and chatting to the uh, psychologists that were there, they were extremely worried about my mental health state. Mm. Um, and they actually didn't want me to go home that day. Mm. So wow. 
I kind of, I, I think at that particular point, I actually do acknowledge um, that I was in a really dark place. I actually wanted to maybe, you know, yeah. I had thoughts of suicide and yeah. that sort of stuff as yeah. well. Yeah, wow. Um, so fast forward, they wanted me to be admitted straight away to the MBU, to mm -hmm. the mother and baby unit at King Edward Memorial Hospital, mm -hmm. but I refused. Um, mm -hmm. I said, I want to go home and just sort myself and get all my belongings together. And mm -hmm. so it took them a little while for me to convince them that I would be okay that night, but a yeah. sort of an admission soon mm -hmm. would be the best course of action. Um, so mm -hmm. it was probably, I think two days later that I rocked up at the doors of the mother and baby unit at King Edwards and was admitted as a patient. Uh, my son stayed with me during mm. the period of time and we were there in total for probably about two weeks. We did have a period out mm -hmm. um, over the Christmas period. Mm. So I got let out of the mum and bub unit for Christmas mm. um, and that was only after them establishing that I would be mentally okay yep. and stable enough um, to be at home under my own mm. <laughs> watch, I suppose. Yes. Um, yes. It was during that period at the mother and bub unit that we discussed medication again. Mm -hmm. And again, because I was breastfeeding, I, after that previous experience, I was very much against it. And uh, it took them a lot of uh, sort of conversations. Mm -hmm. And then they also provided some research done at the King Edward Memorial Hospital yep. um, about the percentage of the medication goes through breast milk to the baby. Sure. So it was after that uh, that they convinced me to yeah. go on the medication. Yeah. And then I suppose that was the turning point. It was also, I distinctly remember, you know, because... Um, you're allowed when you're at the mother and bub unit, when you're a certain, mm. I suppose, uh, I suppose they assess you and your mental state. And yes. for most, you are allowed to kind of go out to the shops or that sort of thing for a short period of time. Yeah. And it was standing in the supermarket and things were just whirling around me and I had no conscious state wow. that I was like, I think I need some help. And wow. that's the decision and deciding point when I was, um, when I decided to go on medication, mm. I'm still on medication now. Mm -hmm. And um, I have since had my daughter in between. Mm -hmm. My experience with my daughter in between, I uh, was obviously my medical team, as in my own GP, my obstetrician, yeah. were all mindful of my mental state. Mm. I also visited the Elizabeth Centre, which is in Claremont, mm -hmm. um, during my pregnancy and postnatal period just to keep an army as well. Yep, yep. But it certainly wasn't near where I was with my yeah. second birth. Were you worried that that might like reignite with the third? It certainly was in the back of my head yeah. and there was, I suppose, a hint of anxiety about the fact that I didn't want it to happen again. Mm. Um, our postnatal period was a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I suppose there was a few other things, like in terms of my second born, mm. I still had that old, I suppose, that old school approach of, you know, you've got to let your baby self settle, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, the 10, 2 and 6 mm -hmm. feeding times, you know, were enforced and... Yep. But, um, so it was very rigid and very different. Whereas with my daughter, I was a lot more, I suppose, relaxed. We kind of yep. fed on demand. Um, mm. She 
kind of co-slept with me a bit more, you know, yeah. like all of these things. Mm. And I actually felt that because of the more relaxed approach that I took with her, yeah. our experience was a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've certainly heard that quite a few times and how challenging it is when we, as women, you know, if we, before we've had babies, if you've had you know, you've had a quite an established life and a career and you've kind of got your life under control and then you try to kind of use those same sort of strategies with a newborn, it's just impossible, you know, to have that level of, say, control or structure. You know, babies are just going to do what babies are going to do. And and when we're really um, stuck on that, I suppose, without kind of relaxing and just trusting and just it can it doesn't bode well you know kind of thing it just it's impossible really to to settle into it if it has to be a certain way but if you're really anxious you know and freaking out for want of better words you know it's uh, it's kind of a downhill spiral that's I think you're exactly right and kind of anxiety sometimes mm. brings anxiety. Oh, gosh, yes, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> it kind of can be that downward spiral um, <laughs> to a really bad place. And I, as I've sort of said before, that mm. I refer to that period of time when I was really in my deep, dark period yeah. um, as a fog because I have very limited memories wow. of that first year of my son's life, which mm. I feel extreme mother guilt in regards to yeah. <laughs> yeah. because I have so many more memories with my daughter and or with my firstborn. Mm. Um, so it actually really <laughs> is something that's quite significant. The other thing is it's not like a broken leg or a, mm. Um, mm. or a, you know, like some sort of other illness where people can physically see there is something wrong with you. Yeah. So a photo that I shared um, during the recent Panda Week was me during that time and I was kind of like, to most people you would see a mum that was happy and that was, you know, engaged with her baby and all the rest, but it was actually part of my darkest time, but no one would be able to tell. Wow. Do, do you think you needed to have that kind of um, veneer or mask until you got diagnosed to just keep going? Like was that a sort of a accidental strategy in a way that, you used or women use sometimes. I think as, as women, we kind mm. of put on a face. You know, Definitely. we have to be the strength. We have to be the pillar behind Definitely. our family, behind our little ones. We can't show that we're not okay um, because if we do, then the whole other, you know, housing structure around yeah. us as such, our own family will fall down because yeah. Yeah. we know we step out of the house for five minutes and maybe take a break and <laughs> you have to have done the food prep before. You have to set up the routine on the board so everyone knows what to do. Like it's yeah, just, it's insane. we're the centre. And if we're not okay, then no one else is okay. Yeah. Um, so that facade or that mask, I suppose, that was on, you know, I didn't, at that particular time, I didn't feel the courage that I could say that I wasn't okay because of people's judgment possibly on me mm. as a mother, as on me as a person. Mm. Um, even still now, you know, last week there was an episode, uh, you know, something that was shared on TV as in the, yeah. an interview of me and going into school as in I'm a teacher, so going to school the next day, and knowing that people and parents and kids 
mm-hmm. that I teach had seen that particular um, interview on the TV. Oh, I saw you on TV yesterday. Mm-hmm. So now they've got that, I suppose, label, which they then mm-hmm. put with me as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself is kind of a little bit daunting because, you know, then if someone sees you not coping down the shops or mm. um, down the park, wherever, yeah. oh, that's right, she's got PND, so that's why she's not coping. Mm. That's a little bit of a tricky one in itself as well. Yeah, the whole fear, I guess, around being labelled and having a diagnosis and what are people going to think. Sometimes I think the fears, they stop us sometimes from getting help you know because because of exactly what you said but we don't ever really I suppose truly know what people think of us but it's what we think they might be thinking of us that is more problematic often than what they truly are thinking of us you know I always think though being being authentic um, is always a better path you know I think that is definitely more inspiring you know that somebody is actually just showing and that that was a part of me that was a part of my life it doesn't define me you know it doesn't that's just what happened back then and now I'm here you know it's it's a separate thing in a way it's just a small part of who you are you know that's right and that one of the um I actually wrote a blog article about the Mm -hmm. fact that um the way it was is not the way it has to be ah right yes so just because I'm here today in this current state does not need to define what happens tomorrow, mm. what happens next month, what happens next year. Um, it's kind of a really powerful thing to be aware of because I certainly wouldn't be in the place right now yeah. if I hadn't had my experience with PND and PNA, wow. so postnatal depression and with postnatal anxiety. Yeah. As a result of that, I then started my own business. And as a result of starting my own business, I'm now able to reach out to other mums, to connect with mums all over the globe Mm. who possibly might be struggling. And that in itself is more powerful for me than uh, any of the business transactions that I do. Yeah, of course. Um, Because the whole point of starting my business was, to possibly help one mum mm-hmm. uh, find something that I wasn't able to get at the time and to be able to get the help, which mm. I need maybe sooner than I actually got. On that note, why do you think it was so difficult for you to, in terms of getting help earlier? I mean, it sounds like the, the, the kind of the teamwork from your husband and the child health nurse and a couple other people, like you mentioned, really helped you cross that line. Do you think it was that the fear or the confusion or, you know, I don't know. I suppose any first step, Mm. you know, like, (laughs) uh, you know, you talk maybe about AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and their first step is (laughs) actual acknowledgement. So people go along. And not actually, you know, head in the sand, Mm. not actually realising there's anything possibly wrong Mm. until they make that conscious effort themselves. Mm. And making the conscious effort themselves, that's when you can reach out and get the help which you possibly need. Sure, yeah. What Can I ask what other symptoms you were struggling with? So you've mentioned that fog, you know, 
big big time and your husband saying look you're crying all the time I see you not coping like what what does that mean like how would you describe that for you so possibly really struggling with getting even the simple tasks done in the house right having a very disorganized brain mm-hmm. uh, so really yep. messed up not being able to have a prolonged thought jumping from one thing to the next um so very decreased concentration Mm -hmm. funnily enough i've also written something about um i still have a very limited sense of smell wow and uh there is actual research to show that there is part of your brain which connects your sense of smell to the whole postnatal mm-hmm. um, depression mm. and anxiety and the more that you get that under control your sense of self smart starts to return and really oh, that's right. so that's something that you know people don't actually no. know that no. that's connected to and I was just like oh my god I really like have no sense of smell anymore mm. <laughs> but it does come back mm. Uh, mm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. so yeah, it was just, and that really, in a, that inability to be able to make decisions as mm-hmm. well was not there. Mm-hmm. And so you're standing in the supermarket and you can't decide whether to get the long life milk or the normal milk, sure. you know, like, yeah. so the um, simple things. thought processing yeah. was not occurring either. Mm. Yeah, it's, that's fascinating to hear. I didn't know about the smell um, problems, like in that just makes me think wow that's some like actual problems going on in the brain you know it's not just oh I'm just having a difficult day my mood's a bit down it's like my brain is actually not functioning properly and that's why for for some women who are struggling you know at that end medical help is important you know like going to hospital or if you're not going to hospital certainly being under the care of a psychiatrist you know we certainly have some perinatal psychiatrists here in Perth like um, at those two clinics you mentioned and and the consideration of medication and I'm so glad you you talked about that because I think that's such a fraught issue for every human kind of thing who's struggling with their mental health let alone if you've got a baby and sounds like your first experience you're like nah this I'm not even going down that path but it sounds like with the second one and ending up in hospital you're able to kind of be talked around that with with good evidence you know correct yeah Um, I think it's really important I I probably also should say I'm not really a medication person sure so I don't just go and take a Panadol or a Nufin at the Mm. first sign of a little pain in my head like something has to really be wrong for me to take Mm. medication in the first place so maybe why my resistance was so strong Mm. one of the other benefits of being at the mum and bub unit is you've got people closely monitoring Uh. your um so your medication intake so whether what you're having is enough whether they need to increase or decrease, mm-hmm. um, whether that particular first type of medication that you're on is the right sort for you because just because it is the right fit for Joe Bloggs doesn't necessarily mm. mean it's the right fit for you. Yeah. Um, there were a number of women in the mother and bub unit when I was there with postnatal psychosis and that's a completely different and an extremely scary mm. Um, mm. thing, uh, you know, mental health issue that mothers can also find them. For sure. um, 
you know, coming across. Um, one of the other things that we, that I'm very um, strong on also probably sharing mm -hmm. is the fact that postnatal depression, postnatal anxiety or postnatal psychosis mm. knows no boundaries. Mm. So it doesn't matter whether you're educated, uneducated, from high income, low income, what status you are, mm. uh, what your previous experiences were, because sometimes mm. they used to say like postnatal depression, well, if you had a partner that left you during your pregnancy or extremely traumatic pregnancy mm. or, um, you know, you were dealing with a stressful situation during your pregnancy, you're more at risk of developing it. Mm -hmm. um, with my second born, I was actually probably in mm -hmm. the best, you know, part of my life. Like I had a great husband. We had yeah. um, a stable household. Like mm. he had a job. Like there was all these wonderful things wow. around me. Yeah. But it just hit me again. Yes. So whether it was always underlying and it just came to the surface again, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But it's something really important. To know. It's just because someone is of whatever yeah doesn't necessarily mean they can't get it no which is kind of sucks you know you just all that all that means then i i suppose is that you just have to have a and a good awareness and understanding of what it looks what it looks like or what it looks like on paper should it raise its head with you because there are there's no sometimes it sounds like you're saying there's no kind of rhyme or reason you know i do i do wonder we like you were saying with your first um you probably had it and it was undiagnosed you tried a little tried a bit of help didn't work you just kind of powered on you know and i suspect that for many women you know we do that we just kind of go oh god i just it's, i'm just gonna you know get through it somehow pull my socks up or whatever un unless or until it becomes like disabling you know where you cannot function anymore like you're saying you're standing in a supermarket going I can't decide what milk uh, to get, you know, which is uh, pretty paralyzing, I think. And here you are looking after a baby. You're like, what What the hell? Like, that's some crazy, crazy stuff. Actually, Joe, I was wondering with bubs, like how, how were things between you and baby? I know things are difficult to recall, you know, specifically back then. It sounds like it really was a bit of a blur. But, I mean... <laughs> Did you feel like you were connecting to your son? Like, what was that like? That's a really, really good question because mm. uh, today, as in, mm. you know, 2020, November, yeah. um, I still carry a lot of guilt mm. about the fact that my connection to him is not the same mm -hmm. as with my other two children. Mm. It's really hard uh, thing to put actual words to but it's just this feeling inside of me mm. that I just don't feel as connected to and I notice our relationship is slightly paralyzed maybe because mm. those initial uh, you know I suppose bonding experiences mm. aren't there because I wasn't truly present mm. not to say that things now like we certainly have a great relationship it's just yeah. um there's just something that I feel is missing like our, mm. our initial chains aren't quite there wow um when I was in the mother and bubby unit mm -hmm. they mentioned uh partaking in a course which is called the circle of security I don't know whether you've heard of that I before. run yeah I do run I run the groups the circle security groups I love it 
best thing ever. Yeah. yeah. So they said that it was really quite important for me to possibly do yes. uh, one of those courses. Yeah. Um, I think when I left and things just got a bit busy around it and I didn't actually partake in it. Mm. But it's actually a regret that I have for mm. not doing it. You can still do it. I Some of the groups I run, there's honestly, there's people in there who've got teenagers or foster carers. I still, I think it's applicable for any parent or care, caregiver at any kind of age, uh, regardless of, you know, what's kind of happening kind of thing. But I, uh, for, for people who don't know, it's, it's, um, Circle Security is like an attachment-based sort of reflective parenting group, group program to help build your, your relationship with your child if there's some um, struggles there. I think it's very good for helping you understand yourself as well and your, your adult relationships and it uses, you know, decades of research it's a beautiful it's a really beautiful yeah um group kind of program that is not um you know i think some parenting groups are based more on like behavior management and all this kinds of stuff whereas circle security is not like that at all it's about building your relationship and learning to kind of see the emotional needs of your child and yourself which is the beauty of it encouraging that reflection which is confronting sometimes (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I completely, and I completely agree. It's something that um, mm. is never too late to look at because yeah. just, I suppose, it reinforces what I was saying before about yeah. um, just because it's the way it is today is not the way that it has to be tomorrow or next week or next month. I can yeah. enact things in order to make the changes as well. So, mm. I don't, I don't think you, you're not certainly not the first woman I've heard say. Um, something feels different between me and my child with when you've had an experience of postnatal depression or postnatal anxiety or psychosis for that matter. Um, If you've got more than one child, there's this kind of, you kind of know that something was was different obviously and was perhaps kind of missed. And I think the challenge is managing that mother guilt. You know, that mother guilt is powerful. (laughs) stuff like <laughs> how do you debilitating um, too <laughs> <laughs> yes it is and we don't want that kind of running the show kind of thing because you can't we can't go back kind of thing but what where does that live within you now like or how do you manage that like uh, it's probably still there it's less of a voice right so it used to be a lot stronger than what it is now wow. probably because I have been working on developing Mm -hmm. more of a conscious mindful relationship with my son Wow! Um, and really kind of I spend a lot of energy uh, connecting and getting to his level and Mm -hmm. doing things Mm -hmm. um, to provide that connection with him Mm -hmm. Um, so the mother guilt I don't think ever goes away. I mean, yeah. I still have mother guilt with my 21-year-old. Yeah. Like, I think it's just I hard the parcel. <laughs> so true. <laughs> but there, that sounds – that's some good tips, I think, for other women to hear that it's not the end of the world and you can – now, today, no matter how old that child is that you experience PND with or PNA, that building, a, like you said, a conscious, mindful relationship with your child is always possible you know building what you have now because you're I think for children they don't care you know like mum's here now brilliant awesome great bring it on kind of thing you know never too late it's really not too late you know 
And I think, unfortunately, mm. the way the world has evolved and the way society has evolved as mm. well, we've become so busy with trying to provide our kids with possibly the latest this or, yeah. um, you know, the best house or, you know, like mm. that sort of on the surface stuff that we've forgotten about some of the most mindful um, practices which actually mean the most to our kids. Mm. Um, so in terms of as a kid, I don't remember what my parents bought me on my 10th birthday, yep. but I remember the experiences and the truly dedicated time that my parents gave me mm. through providing me with experiences or memories as a child. Um, so that far outweighs the, you know, the gifts that we possibly might want to shower our children with because we think that they're going to love us more yeah. or that mum guilt is going to decrease because we're having to work five days a week. Oh, well, we'll just go and buy them something to make, sure. to make it up for that. It's kind yeah. of a very important, uh, I suppose, bit to you know think mm. about especially coming up to christmas yeah you're right it's all about i think building memories isn't it more than gifts because uh, that's spot on like i can't recall half of i don't know childhood stuff but you do you remember moments you know good and bad moments unfortunately it's just the way mind kind of works um and those moments of connection like you said you know when your parents kind of give you that undivided it's like quality time i mean and uh, i think that's such an important thing for Busy, busy mothers uh, although we're all busy mothers kind of thing or busy women busy humans to keep in mind that you might not have a lot of uh, like the quantity of time that you want to be able to dedicate but w the point is when you're with your child if you're doing the sort of conscious mindful parenting you're really with your child you're not on your phone you're not sort of too distracted too distracted you know I know that's hard but having any semblance of one-on-one -on -one time and we're on the floor and we're playing whatever game or you're you're going along with what they want to do, even if you find it really boring kind of thing. That is such a gift. That's worth a thousand toys, you know. It sounds like what you're talking about, you know. A hundred percent. I suppose one of the other practices which I try to do regularly, mm -hmm. which fits into that, mm -hmm. is a whole mindfulness. So oh. I kind of try and share uh, regular articles about different things that you can do nice. um, in maybe a 10 or 15 minute practice um and we kind of try and share like a mindfulness monday oh. um, so something that you can use throughout the week you might be going out to the backyard and just lying on the grass mm. underneath the tree mm. and just staring and looking at the leaves and yeah. focusing on their texture and their size and the way they're moving and mm. all of that sort of stuff is that's a practice and through doing this, it actually makes you more connected as an individual, which then in turn makes you more connected as a mother. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just pulls you out of that business and forces you to stop. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for people who may be struggling slightly mentally mm -hmm. just to, you know, stop, appreciate and really take set of, mm -hmm. um, yeah, time. It's a, and that's such a simple thing to do, you know, to literally go outside and stare at a leaf. I hundred percent get you. I I love doing that kind of stuff. It's it it just requires commitment, I think, because it's so easy to go. I don't have time, or that seems really pointless, or I can't justify that somehow. How is that going to help me, kind of thing? But 
my gosh, you'd be surprised. I think it just any kind of moments where you're still, you know, and and present, you know, is powerful stuff. Although sometimes we don't want to do that because then you're left with yourself and you're like, yee, <laughs> I don't want to be left with my head. <laughs> Especially, as women. I think that's a really good point as well. The fact that yeah. when I was, um, I still struggle now to do yoga. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think it's that whole stopping yes. and really focusing on the present um, <laughs> because it's easier to run at a thousand miles per hour. Yes, yes stop and be in oneself so um i really need to be conscious my own self Mm -hmm. of doing a regular practice Mm. Uh, yeah committing to that Mm. (laughs) something else maybe to note like Mm -hmm. in terms of like the topic that we're talking about with postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety Mm -hmm. one in five women uh suffer with some form of postnatal mental uh illness Mm. and one in ten men just because we're a woman Mm. or just because someone's a man doesn't mean that they don't suffer as well Mm. um the panda hotline so the perinatal anxiety and depression uh associations hotline Mm -hmm. has seen 113 percent growth during the pandemic wow so that is humongous and it's only as a result of that growth and providing those figures to the state and federal government mm-hmm. that they've been able to get some sort of funding because mm-hmm. it was a it's a not-for-profit organization yep and so now they are able to offer the hotline on a saturday like <laughs> you wow. know like yeah. it's not a 24 7 no. service unfortunately no. shocking postnatal depression postnatal <laughs> anxiety doesn't work tr- between the confines of nine to five no. you know like Quite often, nighttime is when yeah. it's. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The two a.m. when you feel the most alone and most desperate with a screaming child, I tell you what, there's, there's that's a unique experience if you've ever gone through something like that, even for a moment in time. And it, it, it's there's these kind of moments of desperation, you know, that that's when you need someone with you, you know, or just to talk to someone or anything and it's it's just shocking that there's not a 24 hour you know we have lifeline for which is 24 hours seven days a week and you can you know certainly a mum can can call that but in terms of a specific postnatal uh number and service that has that training and understanding it's wow saturday you know i just think oh my god like we have a we have a way to go you know it's it's frustrating because i think there's so much more you know research and awareness on the whole about it and about the the importance of getting in early and supporting um, mothers who may be struggling because we know that that can impact you know the relationship with the child and you know have some long-term consequences for everyone in that family so it's like yes let's get in early but then we have to back that up with the actual services (laughs) you know and what do you do if you're in the country i you know very difficult stuff and especially you're talking about country, their contact with a child health nurse would A, be not there mm. or it would be few and far between. Mm. One of the things we would love, I would love personally mm-hmm. to see um, is more postnatal support right. for women. Mm-hmm. So during our pregnancy, we go through and we see our obstetrician and mm. our GP and other health professionals you know, like weekly yes. leading up to those last few weeks yeah. of before delivery. And then it's kind of like, 
you have the baby, you leave the hospital, you get your six-week checkup by your obstetrician who pretty much goes, well, how are things down there? Whatever you had, yeah. you know, whether it's cesarean or yeah. natural delivery. And, oh, are you taking any sort of contraception? And, oh, have you had your pap smear done lately? Yes. <laughs> so, like, there's not a lot of connecting back in into mother's mental state and that mm. following and continuation afterwards. Mm. So... Mm. Uh, you know, just someone checking in with a mum. Yeah. Uh, I know I've had a lot of conversations with women in terms of first-time mums in, with breastfeeding. Yes. And they're like, well, if I just had someone connecting that there was actually something wrong or, um, you know, provided we, with places that I could contact in terms of lactation consultants mm, or whatever, mm. I may have been able to keep my breastfeeding journey going longer. Yeah. Um, but when you're a first-time mum, you have no oh. idea there's services that are out there. No. And like you said, you, even if you're not depressed, that fog, those first few weeks with your first baby, you, you're just trying to survive, honestly. Even if it's going pretty okay, it's such a shock to, to the, the body and the mind and the family and everything. You're, you, and you, do, you don't know what you're doing. God, it's it's the most scary. I remember it's the scariest thing in the world where you leave the hospital and you're like, what the fuck? Like, you trusting me with this baby? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then All of like, a sudden I've got the responsibility for someone else. Like, I can barely look after oh. myself. <laughs> exactly. It's so huge. And there's still some really big gaps in services. And, and what I've kind of noticed over the years is that sometimes there is – some better support, but then there's a change in funding or a change in government or change in policy and and then stuff is taken away or it's changed and you're like, because uh, I, I don't know what happens now, but I remember when my son was born, which is 16 years ago now, uh, he I had a visit. Like the, the child health nurse was kind of onto me pretty quickly and I'd go see her and then she come she came to see me at home. I don't know if that still happens now yeah. does that still so happen come and visit you like yeah, but just in the first few days after yeah hospital. yeah I suppose it's kind of like once you hit through that six month six week mark yeah it kind of everything falls away and yes it's kind of, yes know, like and even a new mum so I kind of do home visits to some wow. new mums as well if they can't get out to shops etc yeah um so I go to them and do a home visit wow I mean couple of mums I've seen recently with like a seven, eight-week-old baby. Mm. One mum the other day, um, her baby had lost weight and she didn't even know she could just do a walk-in at the health nurse yep. and go and weigh her baby. Like that was an option. Yep. And she was like, well, it appeared to me like my baby was getting enough, but it actually wasn't. Yeah. Like the baby wasn't putting on weight. It only put on like, I don't know, let's say 500 grams in. Yeah three weeks or something and like it yep. was a really low amount and mm. she'd been regularly tracking it or encouraged to regularly track it mm. they may have come across it a lot earlier mm. yeah so there's this kind of there's there's not enough er, really early on to because if you, you don't know what you don't know you know in terms of services and like like you said I think it's a really good point you know if you, you go and have a maybe a medical checkup a few weeks down the track or, or just something and it's very focused on the body and it, it does need to be how you're recovering and all that kinds of stuff. But the, I think that's where the child health nurses really step in. They do, you know, they do um, 
usually do the what is it the Edinburgh postnatal depression scale and and see how you're kind of tracking. But I I know for certainly for some mums, if they're struggling and they're embarrassed about that, they won't actually say anything, or they'll just kind of tick a what few boxes that make it look like they're okay, and unless that child health nurse knows that mother reasonably well. You know, I know they have a lot. They've got, they've got a lot of mothers. But there's somebody who can detect, you know, I, I think you're just holding it together here. You know, I just don't quite believe you when you say, I'm okay, you know, kind of thing. We need some sort of continuity of care postnatally, you know, with somebody who's aside from your partner who might be freaking out and might be struggling themselves. Like what you said, one in 10 partners are going to be going down that rabbit hole themselves. And I think for for men or for, other, you know, same-sex partners, watching their, their partner decline and being completely helpless must be terrifying, you know, really terrifying. Yeah, it, I mean, I certainly know for my husband, like he, he, I think it's always going to sit in the back of his head as well. Like, mm. so he, he's mindful of keeping a check. You were asking for symptoms before. Yes. So he's very mindful of A, watching for my triggers mm. and B, watching for characteristics which remind him of the period of time where I was in a really bad place. Mm. So he's kind of uh, always on the front foot mm-hmm. with um, keeping in check with me mm. uh, because he doesn't want to obviously see me go back down that yeah. pathway again where I, um, yeah, just kind of didn't come all together. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, I mean, what, what, I guess while we're on the subject of partners, like what is useful for them, what supports are out there for the for the the partners of women who are experiencing postnatal depression or anxiety or psychosis like actually and in the mother baby unit can I ask was he kind of you know did yeah he, so yeah. he was able to obviously come visit me yeah. um there was also sessions that were offered by them mm-hmm. in terms of being able to understand what we were going through mm. as well as how they could best support Right. So there were really um, good information sessions that were provided as well as he could at any time when he was in visiting me, etc. he could go and seek information from the medical staff there as well. Mm. Um, He could partake in uh, sessions that I had with the psychologists there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So there really was you know, sort of services available to him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to be able to try and understand a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know that other people can actually ring, you know, Pandora or Cope mm-hmm. or any of those mm-hmm. other men- postnatal mm-hmm. mental health services. They can actually ring on behalf of the person as well. Ah, uh, okay. Yep. To see whether there is connection to a psychologist with postnatal, uh, you know, mm. what do you call it, um, sort of like experience or yeah. expertise. Yep, yep. Um, so they can put you in touch with the right person. Uh, it certainly is my first, I don't know, piece of advice to anyone who knows someone who might not be okay is like mm. contact one of the contact one of these groups yes 
because they could they're the experts as such to being able to deal with this particular thing. So they might be able to put you in the right um, direction, I suppose, because yeah. each yeah. different community has different access. Sure. I will in the show notes put down the numbers for Panda and Cope. Can you can you tell us what Cope stands for? Uh, it's a uh, hang on the centre of perinatal. Is it excellence or something or? Yeah, I think it's. I'll have to just double check. Yeah, I have only okay. yeah. kind of. I try and keep abreast of all of these different groups that come up. I know they just last week during the Panda Week had mm. a buy a coffee for Cope kind of thing. So donating okay. your cost to your coffee to Cope. Yeah. So yeah, well, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, can just with the mother baby unit, I was curious about what you mentioned you know you, there's the, the medical team there and psychologists there like in those two weeks that you were there mostly apart from when you went out a little bit what kinds of things do they do in the mother baby unit like what does that actual support look like for that hospital stay <laughs> so the day is kind of you do have structure around the day mm-hmm. it's very important with people with um mental illness to have that structure and have routine yep. because if you don't you kind of won't get out of bed yes. um yeah. so the morning's kind of a, a mindfulness practice meditation mm-hmm. period you then have group sessions mm-hmm. so with the other mums in the mum and baby unit they then do um topics you know, so these they have an actual weekly structure right. of yeah. topics which they go through as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even learnt to knit again when I was there. <laughs> like, as in, that was something which they shared. Yeah. So the people, uh, so there are nurses which are on site. Right. Yeah. Have, uh, I think one or two or maybe even three, depending on the needs of the patient. Mm. So someone with extreme needs would be a one-on-one with a nurse because they might need round-the-clock care. So one of the mums that was there when I was there um, was on the constant 24-7 guard. Wow. Yeah. So that particular mum needed high support, Mm. whereas someone like me who was okay but just needed a bit of propping up every now and again. Yep. The nurse that looked after us possibly mm. would have two other mums. At the right, same time. I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, so there is also other things that they do, you know, in terms of helping you with your baby. Mm-hmm. You know, showing it depends where they find the holes which you might need further support in. Yep. Again, it depends on the patient's needs. So some mums mm-hmm. couldn't look after their baby during night time. Mm-hmm. So the baby was cared for during night in special nursery rooms. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it just depends on the individual needs. Yep, yep. As to the structure of the day. Yeah, but interesting points around having structure, you know, and routine and getting women pra- practised in that to see how that can facilitate their recovery, you know, and then taking that, being able to take that home and being able to feel a little bit more, I would hope, a bit more confident in some of their mothering uh, skills, you know, which we we need that, I think, as women. We all, you know, it's so easy, I think, particularly if it's your first baby, 
like we were joking about before, but that's real, you know, when you feel terrified, really, that you're doing it wrong and that you're hurting your baby and, I, what, what, you know, what's the deal with the feeding and the, the weight gain or the, all these things. You can, you can just see, you know, how easy it is to get um, obsessed with things. And, you know, there's postnatal OCD, you know, which is very real as well with this intense kind of fixation on trying to do things a certain way. You know, there's... It can just go so wrong, but it can also go very right. But the point is, I think, is that recovery is totally possible. There's, there's, there is help out there. It's just knowing where to go, which is some of the problem sometimes. Mm. Exactly. Um, I, I think as well what you were just talking about mm. is my confidence in my own parenting uh, decreased right dramatically. Yes. So it's gaining that confidence back and. Mm. Having that belief system in yourself once again mm. as a person is really important as well. Yeah, because I, I think with any, you know, um, a lot of mental health conditions, including the postnatal or the perinatal ones, perinatal sort of meaning during pregnancy and right up until like, I don't know, three years post-birth, is is the the way your confidence and your kind of self-worth just like completely bottoms out, you know, and it's you lose faith in yourself and if you're a mother you know first second third time mother you really need to to you you need that just a, a semblance of that to go you know what I'm doing okay you know it may not be perfect but I'm doing my best and bub seems okay and you know good good and bad whereas when you're feeling so low or so anxious or you know doubting yourself so much and I think that's where you mentioned, Joe, um, that you're at the point of sometimes even having suicidal thoughts. You know, that's pretty hardcore stuff to be at that that place, you know. Uh, did that ease through the mother-baby unit's day and the medication? And uh, Yeah, I mean, I suppose that, that I talk about it in terms of cycles. Right. So postnatal depression, postnatal anxiety for a lot don't ever kind of go away completely, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you have the cycle that you go through, your ups and then your low periods, that cycle gets much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and through being on medication, I, I now have, it's kind of keeps me at a level where I can then cope and get through that downward process. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. before, if I bottom out, I really bottomed out and I couldn't get back out of that right. dip again. Yeah. Um, whereas now I can sort of, I know that tomorrow's going to be a new day. Mm-hmm. I know that it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And just having that little bit of belief and faith gets mm-hmm. you out of that hole that you possibly can go in. We all have up days. We all have down days. Mm. Um, It's just a matter of being able to, I suppose, get out of it ourselves Mm. with our own thinking patterns. Um, The cycle is a lot greater now. I don't have those suicidal tendencies. Mm -hmm. My ability to cope with my kids themselves is a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, as a result of my son's colic and reflux, etc., he cried a lot. Mm. Crying is actually one of my greatest triggers. Ah, yeah. So now I really need to 
be very conscious of, I mean, <laughs> my, t my toddler or my two and a half year old is certainly going through a stage of yeah. very whingy, whiny, cry because mm -hmm. <laughs> she can't get what she wants all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, and it's sometimes just stepping away from it. Mm -hmm. uh, another strategy which I use quite a lot is taking myself, if I'm really struggling, chuck my kids in the pram, mm -hmm. off I go for a march around the block and an emotion generally lasts about that 20-minute period. Can mm. it be more or it can be greater or lesser than, a, but it's on average around 20 minutes. Mm. So I find that if I take myself for a 30-minute walk or a 40-minute walk, it, by the time I get back, mm. it's kind of like refreshed, renewed, and I have that ability to break through whatever it was that I was, mm. that mindset which I was struggling with before. Wow, that's such an awesome uh, thing to re remember, you know, and such a good tip that the um, like the transience of emotions that at the time it can feel like this is not, this is never going to end, but actually within a few minutes, you know, they will pass and the importance of moving your body really, if you're able to, you know, I know with depression it can be very hard to physically get out and get up and stuff like that, but that sounds like it's such a great, strategy for you to you know you've worked that out and understanding your triggers like you said I think that is just pivotal you know that crying was a was a major um, factor that was um, because your poor little boy had such bad you know colic and reflux like you said and but now you know you know what this is always going to be a bit of a sensitive one for me so like what do I need to do you know it's kind of knowing learning about yourself once you're on the other side of that and kind of in recovery phase of postnatal depression or anxiety or whatever else has happened kind of thing too and that's why I think the importance of working with someone professionally can be really important you know to help you understand yourself and what's my toolkit here you know when the shit hits the fan again which it is because I've got kids <laughs> and life <laughs> it's gonna happen <laughs> there's no point denying it <laughs> um and then you've got teenagers let's not even put oh, that into the mix Amel. <laughs> you're a brave woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's very being a mother is very rewarding but it does have its moments yeah. so you're exactly right that toolkit mm. helps us to kind of get through mm, it does you know I think you learn I think there's nothing like becoming a parent to to teach you about yourself you know to uncover perhaps parts of yourself they didn't really want to see you know but it's there and you, you, you you've got you've got to learn through it otherwise it's what's the point kind of thing, you know. And to have that, um, when you were talking before, I thought it sounds like too what you're saying is to have perspective, that it, this won't last forever. This feeling or this struggle in this moment, which at 2 a.m. with the crying baby, that's really difficult to remember that the sun's going to come up in a few hours, you know, and it's not going to be this way forever. But with depression, you know, that narrowing of perspective and your whole brain kind of shutting down. There's parts of it that are just not functioning right, as you were saying. That's a dangerous place to be. Mm. Exactly. And uh, it kind of when you're in that place, mm. you don't even know how to seek help yourself. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so you can't, you don't have that consciousness to be able to break out of it. I mean, I've got a 
girlfriend at the moment who I have known since she had her second baby that she's not um, mentally okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just trying to be very sensitive about it, you know, like and try to broach it in a very like, you know, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Are you sure you're coping okay? Like, you know, sort of trying to have those conversations because a lot of people who get quite defensive about it as well. So as soon as you might mention it, no, no, that's not me, you know, like I don't want to talk about it. Um, She's now, so her little one is nearly, um, is nearly one and she still uh, hasn't sought help, Mm. but she's finally come to the point where she says, yes, okay, I know I'm not okay and I just want to be like the way I was before. Oh, which is a good first step, I guess, that awareness. And and that's kind of, you know, I believe it's your first step to stepping back onto the path mm. because you need to acknowledge it yourself. You can't tell someone else that there's something wrong, that's that they're not okay. <laughs> it needs to come from them themselves first. Yeah, 100%. What um, just before we finish up, we've been chatting for an hour, which is great. But I was just on that note. How could somebody support someone who's going through postnatal depression or anxiety, whether they are aware of it or not? I know there's there's kind of two different questions there. It sounds like you mentioned yeah. trying to be quite sensitive and just checking in. Like, what else do you think would? It certainly um, is really important just to be kind of checking and being conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even taking steps to um, connect with some of the groups we've talked about as part of this podcast, mm-hmm. which they may be able to give you some mm-hmm. groups or, um, you know, parenting groups or sessions with um, someone that might be able to help them get to the point where they can realise that they're not okay. Yeah. Um, it is extremely hard if you have a partner who is suffering. Right. Because you're constantly with them and you just want to make them better. Of course. You just want to help them. Yeah. And um, it can be quite debilitating if you can't. Yeah. Uh, you feel powerless mm. if you can't personally help them themselves so yeah it it sort of sounds like for you at at that point in time you were able to listen to your husband and the child health nurse to kind of go all right you know kind of accept defeat there but it took a while it took a while (laughs) you know and I think that's a really important thing to remember that sometimes for some women it will take a while because it's it's enormously painful I think and confronting to to make it real like you said back in the beginning you didn't want to face reality that if I say it it's real and you're like it's not real it's not happening it's not that bad you know it's it makes sense that we don't want to face that you know horrible stuff yeah yeah yes thank you joe for sharing so much of your journey and especially going into the mother baby unit my pleasure and hopefully you know there is uh some piece of pearls of wisdom or possible ideas etc for mums who may be struggling now or in the future um for them to be able to get the help maybe or at least know that it is okay to not be okay yes yeah 
That's a really good point. <laughs> Brilliant point to end on. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. looking up Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. You can also find us at our website, www.whws.org.au. Bye.